Escape from Plan A. Like last and tail end of last year, I was, I was feeling a little, it, 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 a little uh, disconnected. It, things felt really surreal. Like we had, like the like COVID numbers were spiking, unemployment. Uh, there was vast human misery. Like a lot of eviction moratoriums it, uh, were lifted. So I mean, just just mass, just massive misery, but no unrest. I think you and I were talking about this. You might have pot, said it on the pod before. Uh, I was anticipating, uh, especially after all of the protests in, in the late spring and summer, I was expecting a lot more, uh, some action like in the fall and winter. It it, it kind of drove me a little crazy to, to wonder why that wasn't happening. Um, so so when I see like like things like, like uh, uh, maybe it's the wrong indicator. But like uh, the massive people storming the gates at, the, at Capitol Hill on Wednesday, I feel like this is just this is the thin end of the this is the thin end of the wedge in terms of what we're going to see this year. It just doesn't go on forever. People don't just people don't die quietly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, the the bifurcation of society into like those two groups, especially just how stark the numbers are like 10 versus 90. Mm -hmm. Uh, It, it starts when you think about that, things like how we're pushing for crackdown on social media start to make more sense. Because the last thing you want to do is have that 90% become aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Once they're aware of themselves, potentially more, they have, they have more interest in common than not. That's a dangerous tipping point. Yes. Yeah. And so, of course, we don't want to actually take care of them so that they, uh, you know, don't um, storm the castle, which they literally did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, though I don't know if they, I mean, the, the reasons for why they did that I, it is, is to be debated. But... Um, we don't actually want to do anything for them. We just want to say cut off their means of communication. We, I mean, it's it's an act of warfare in a way. It's an act yeah. of class warfare to say, you know what, we're gonna have to take away your Twitter. I mean, literally, it's like the, I, someone had this hashtag, which I thought was flares senior prank, senior prank coup, or, or senior <laughs> senior prank insurrection. Like I think it I had a senior that, yeah. prank feel to it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, the Capitol Hill uh, insurrection. It felt more like this, the seniors, uh, you know, tagging the school or toilet papering the school. Or something. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. I know it was more violent than that, but like from, you know, from, from the long, from the long angle, right? Like um, it was, it was, it was more or less that. Okay, from the perspective of the U S which has staged, which is probably the world expert in staging coups. This was far short of that standard. Let's just say. For sure, and give me a break. I mean, did anyone really yeah. think that this was going to alter the election? That they could capture the government? This come on, give me a break. I, well, I think I, a lot I, of the, yeah. the the media reaction to this and the government reaction to this is um, 
is 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 really melodramatic. And it's getting more so with the purges. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Uh, like day by day, the, the rhetoric around it is uh, is getting more and more heated as fewer and fewer are remaining to counter that perspective. Like they were like, uh, like I saw a lot, a lot of uh, like news organizations come on, like we stand against the deadly, the deadly insurrection that cost lives. Um, and uh, I think there was that, that, that one cop that did, uh, that was trampled and killed on Capitol Hill. Uh, none of the lawmakers were harmed, right? Uh, and in fact, it was more deadly for them than it was for anyone on Capitol Hill. So yeah, I mean, I mean, the event was ugly. Yeah. I, I will admit that. But yeah, I think people now saying like this was the most evil act in you know U.S. history. This was an act of sedition. This was a, like there are weird. It's weird. I will admit, and the fact that Trump was behind it is doubly fucked up. But what I'm saying is that this was not at all even close to being a real threat to the normal yeah. operation of government. It wasn't. I'm yeah. sorry. The, 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 at no point was the election thrown into actual jeopardy. Okay. At no point was, you know, there going to be a non-democratic or unconstitutional or constitutionally bizarre, you know, uh, you know, handover, handover of power, not a, or no handover of power. He was not going to declare himself the emperor of the United States. I mean, <laughs> give me a fucking break. Okay. That wasn't going to happen, and it was a stunt. It was an ugly, fucked up criminal stunt, but it was a stunt. And um, the so the whole thing had that sort of senior prank aspect. But now the the yeah, like the melodramatic reaction reminds me of like you know a school administrator who's been humiliated because their school has been disrespected, their authority mm-hmm. challenged. And so well, this they, is why they're cracking down. This yeah, is why they're, they're getting arrested. Um, and this is why they're being basically sanctioned and dragged out in public as a warning. They were embarrassed. They're cracking down. This isn't. Um, I, I I'm a little disappointed to see a lot of people uh, frame this as somehow the, the government doing the right thing for once. Uh, you know, especially with the comparison, like oh, they were Black Lives Matter, uh, then they'd be mowed down in the street. Like okay. I I I, th- I see the truth of that, but comparing the government reaction now against that really just serves to make that the government now seem legitimate in its uh, in its actions. Yeah, and uh, I think the media is definitely working overtime to make it seem like the vast majority of America is horrified by this, and you know, blah blah blah. And I think they're massaging the message. I, I'm not sure we know what people really think about this. I, I'm sure a lot of people don't give a shit. Um, or, or think it's kind of ridiculous, but not not worth the attention. I, I mean, know. I just I when I say like um, the podium guy, the guy who just nasty below his podium, uh, him getting charged with like mayhem and shit. Yeah. Uh, like they're proposing like you know domestic terrorism. Um, I th- I just see this as institutional power retrenching. This is to protect ins- the institution. This is not about. This is not about. Uh, populist justice of any sort. So seeing this as uh, like, oh, these these uh, white supremacist racist insurrectionists are finally getting a comeuppance um, is seems like a very dangerous way to think about this. Yeah, I mean, the school administrator is going to do two things, right? One is they're going to make an example of the people who did it. Fine, go ahead. I don't give a shit. I mean, you you want to stick that guy in prison? I don't give a shit. He shouldn't have been there. What do I care? 
But what then the second phase of it though is that they're going to do a deeper dive into how this whole thing happened because they're scared that it's going to happen again. Um, and by who could be a different set of kids this time, right? Mm-hmm. And so they start thinking like, you know what? We're going to have to take away their cell phones because the way they prepared this was they got all gone on their cell phones and they all were having these private conversations that we weren't monitoring, talking behind our back and they planned this. And so what we got to do is not let them plan stuff. They can't talk to each other unless we're in the room listening to it. So we're going to okay. take away their cell phones. I mean, that's kind of like where they're going with this. Essentially, yeah. with all this, like, we're going to get Twitter and all these social media companies to crack down. I mean, they, they just bricked Donald Trump's phone. I saw yeah. that list of, of apps that banned him. That, that he, can't use, he basically can't use his phone now. Yeah. Um, they, they drove Parler off the internet. Uh, I mean, and however you feel about Parler is one thing, but it's, uh, it's the extent of that coordinated effort to stamp it out. And they will do this again. They, they will do this again if some other group tries to uh, pull a stunt or get cute in some way. That embar- I don't think it's, we're anywhere close to actually threatening power, but like you said, embarrassing it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, made for some bad photos that people in, in countries we normally coup uh, can laugh about a little yeah. Yeah. So, so I think they're coming for our, you know, they're, 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 they're going to crack down on, uh, you know, internet speech big time because of this, you know, yeah, I, mean, I was, I don't want to stories about how this was all being planned online and mm-hmm. they're going to be stuff about Dross Douthat had a column in the New York times about how this is the danger of, you know, a man like Trump, you know, playing, you know, playing shaman to like, you know, online fantasy and turning it, making it real. Cause oh, you know, and it's, it's all this stuff about how basically this stuff <laughs> is like online is the, is the world Everyone, of these crazy dangerous dreams. And the most dangerous thing is to bridge the two. All right. The internet is where we go to dream and to fantasize and have nightmares. And Donald Trump is the person who bridged the dream world in the real world. Is is kind of what they're saying. So did everyone just kind of forget that Oklahoma City, uh, the bombing was done by a guy who hated computers? Yeah. All right, right. Like this doesn't this doesn't actually address anything except just people's means to communicate with each other. It didn't solve anything. Yeah. I don't think it's for anyone who's actually dedicated. It's not really even going to crimp anyone's planning. I mean, so I, I, I take it as a kind of, as a, as a, as a sort of like coming, coming sort of class warfare. I think censorship is a form of class warfare where they're going to, you know, deal with the fact that we've got an untenable class situation in America where 90% of Americans are drowning in debt, literally cannot rely on wages, either don't have wages or have wages that are totally insufficient to just get them to the the level of material well-being that we would consider the bare bare minimum. minimum. And okay. So instead of addressing the material reality of that, we're going to take away their cell phones, you know, or we're going to take away their internet. We're going to take, you know, the second they start getting rowdy about this stuff, we're going to shut them down and we're going to monitor them and we're going to infiltrate them, 
you know, we're going to put AI detectors and face detectors and all that shit. We're going to use big data to track them. And that's going to be a growth industry, which will contribute to GDP, by the way. Um, <laughs> for, yeah, I mean, certainly if a government contracts Palantir to create some fucking snooping device for the NSA, I mean, that's going to be part of GDP. And uh, the the future, I think, is going to be more and more of this kind of class warfare to suppress. Because the biggest danger to the U.S. is definitely coming from inside. And if, if in fact, I think there's been a few articles written already about that. How China isn't the – this is the new thing. China isn't the number one threat. They're number two. Number one is our own white domestic terrorists, which – I understand is um, a story that has a certain sort of social justice credibility to it because of this whole thing about how we never call white people terrorists, you know, but they'll say whatever they need to say in order to get to the end goal, which is to have to put in place um, a, a social monitoring surveil a surveillance state that our current laws and values otherwise would not allow. Yeah. Using the foil of China or Russia as, as, as needs be. Yeah. Or now domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I saw, I saw parlor got kicked out of AWS. Yes. Yeah. Probably the first time a lot of people have heard of such a thing as AWS. They got declouded. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, that, that one blew me away. I mean, we have uh, we 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 recorded that uh, that two hour pod on uh, section two thirty, and I mean, I I I'm kind of happy to say that that it has been rendered completely moot. All the concerns rendered like that is we're just so far past that. That's completely irrelevant. Like in one week, section two thirty has been relegated to the dustbin of history. We're no longer we no longer need to quibble about that. Um, at the point where we're talking about like like AWS kicking kicking a client off like okay this is like like aws is an amazon owned service that uh that there was a there was there was a group that used aws services that was threatening to dox jeff bezos's like leak his nude pics and they were purchasing their hosting space off of aws an amazon company and they were allowed to do that They were threatening. They were threatening the king who owned the thing their platform sat on, and they were yeah. they, they were still allowed to be on on there. <laughs> that's that's how that's how that's were how. Were Bezos with that, or were they threatening like regular people with that? <laughs> no, no, they were threatening Bezos with that. Like we have your news, and, it, and uh, no, I'm, I'm saying, not. Like, I, I, that's a, that would be threatening to me if they if they threatened me to be like I'm going to show you a nude pic of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> 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 I know. Oh God. Um, yeah. I, I, but I mean, just to, just to, I guess that's a more example to show just how, uh, uh, how sacrosanct up until now, until like right now, we have considered, uh, we've considered these, uh, these services. We, there was kind of a de facto understanding that these were utilities, right? So we've ne- we still haven't gotten to the point where we're like, okay, well, um, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what your energy company is. Who, who, like, okay, Southern California, like, we, our power comes from Edison, Southern California Edison. Um, yeah, same. Nobody, or called Con Edison. Okay. Um, no one's, no one's being like, oh, well, you know, 
um, hey, Edison, why are you still giving electricity to these neo-Nazis? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's these layers that we don't, these uh, lines we still, we just agreed to not cross, um, even in our, in our pursuit of, quote, justice. Uh, and it seems like one by one, we are, we are crossing more and more lines. Uh, where that goes, I'm not sure. Um, I saw Stripe. I found that it's helpful for me in order to understand. Because, okay, so, like, I'm by nature someone, like, I think I just need to understand what's going on. Like, if it doesn't make sense to me, I just, like, for some reason, it's, like, debilitating to me. If I, if I, if I feel like I just can't make sense of anything. And it's getting more and more confusing as time goes on, right? Because in a way, because I think the reality is getting exposed more and, and it's not what we expect. And I think like it helps to just not listen to what people are saying, but just look, think about the actual activity that's happening, like the actions that are being taken and just totally strip aside any of the rhetoric surrounding it. Cause they're, they're all lies uh, or they're, or they're, or they're, deflections or euphemisms or something like that. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like what's going on now is we are living in a society where we have this sort of like global empire of sorts. It's a, it's a weird empire, but we have a global empire with um, all sorts of uh, allies and subordinates and troops and everything flung around the world and we haul in booty and it vast majority of it is used to enrich um, less than 10% of society. And that 90% of society is just sort of there to provide some sort of like menial labor needed for this upkeep of, you know, just regular, just maintenance and otherwise to shut the fuck up. And it's dangerous to have them around. And so we're building a surveillance state to just spy on them all the time and to do and to disrupt them if they ever try to do anything fucked up. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me now. And when I think of it that way, everything is like it just makes nothing is shocking. Everything is sort of proceeding in that direction all the time. You know, and I and I feel like that helps me in the like in, in a certain sense because what I don't want to be is like these people, particularly um, uh, liberals, who are constantly getting their mind like they're constantly just like exasperated. Oh my! You know the people who just like actually respond to Trump on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a whole cottage industry of that. Yeah, they're just, you know, I have to think that these people are not mentally well. Um, people who watch CNN, like, you know, like, people watch CNN the way, like, people used to watch Fox. They just have it on all the time now. And they get sucked into these dramas, these stories of outrage and how, how what, what, what an awful thing the Cheeto has just done. Or what, what a crazy thing this person just said. This outrage, outrage, outrage. And... I have to think that that's got to be intentionally done to confuse people because outrage is a form of confusion. Is it not? Yeah. And it's an intentional uh, obfuscation that narrows perspective because you're now, you're not supposed to just see like one inch past the end of your nose. 
Yeah, and outrage is fundamentally coming from a place of that doesn't make sense, right? It's confusion. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way it should that's be. Wrong. That's not what I expected. That's not the that's not the right thing. And it's 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 a constant state of confusion, and it's in a way almost normalizing confusion into a sort of righteous outrage. But what it really is to me, the way I experience it, because I never get outraged at any of this shit, is confusion. I just feel confused. Like, why is this supposed to be so maddening? Like, why is this important? Why, why are we talking about Section 230? Why is everyone talking about his Twitter? He has, he has less than 10 days in office. And we're having this national debate about whether Twitter should have booted him from Twitter. Because of what happened on Wednesday, I'm like, you know, Charlottesville was much worse than this. But that was early on in his presidency. Nobody talked about booting him off Twitter, even though he said there were very fine people there. Yeah. That was very I mean, encouraging of more violence across the United States for the next three years. They never questioned at that time whether it was, you know, Twitter never was like, yeah, we're booting him. We didn't have that debate three years ago or two years ago. We had it now. And it's confusing to me because it's like, why now? Like, why is it? Does it matter that he's been booted off Twitter? Even he's lost. He's not the president anymore. What does it matter? I mean, this, is, this is a coming out party for uh, for things we, for the real the people who are really the entities that are truly in power. Collectively, a bunch of a bunch of very powerful entities decide the president of the United States cannot talk. Yeah, that's right. So this is a coming out party for the next wave of who actually controls us. It's just being, a lot of the fight was a fig leaf over legalities and liabilities. That's what Section 230 debates are about. Uh, What is protected speech? What isn't? What we're seeing, what I think what we're seeing right now is just saying like, fuck it. We decide who speaks and who doesn't. We decide um, what is a threat to our interests and what is not. Yeah, but they come out at the opposite time when they look like a hero doing it. Yeah. They know public opinion is behind them. Uh, there is an incoming administration that is very favorable to their interests. Um, so this is this is a, this is the, this is a fuck you. We do what we want now. Uh, I am not. I would not be surprised if. I mean, the 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 Trump DOJ had brought lawsuits against Google uh, and, and p- pending against Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft and or and I think Oracle too is on that list too. They were. Pre- and the one that actually got filed, the Google one, was an 11th hour suit. They really got that in under the wire before the election. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that quietly goes away now. They knew who was coming for them. Yeah. So this, I think a lot of people in Biden's cabinet were actually the people who helped Microsoft win their antitrust suit back in the 90s. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So I'm not really sure how much... <laughs> Uh, if these antitrust suits against Google are really going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, these, so, the, what we really want to do is absorb them into the government. Yeah. That's what we really want to do. I mean, yeah, Trump could have done this at any time, too. He could have nationalized that, too. Yeah. I mean, or they could become uh, sort of royal patent companies, right? Like, they have an exclusive could. They could, yeah. right to do the social network, the exclusive right so this to was, research. So this was a limit. This, was, this exposed a certain limit in Trump's thinking as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he absolutely could have just taken control of Twitter. That's his favorite platform. Uh, what? What? The, make Jack go to the mats with him on that? Uh, he didn't. He still observed that. Uh, and this is I, 
that that sacrosanct line between public and private. Uh, I mean, the failure here, though, is that still, like, no matter how much we end up hating social media, there is no other means for um, the masses of people to uh, understand and connect with each other and to learn about each other, except through in intermediated forms of media like the news or like newspapers or like all the traditional media that is gatekept and curated. Um, they want to take that ability away. And so I think Twitter is bad, but I think social media is good. Do you know what I mean? The yeah, way that our social media, media is run is bad. The way that it's owned is bad, but the, idea of social media to me is good. And what they really want to target isn't Twitter, isn't Facebook. They don't want to hurt their profits. They don't want to hurt Zuckerberg or, 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 or Jack uh, uh, Dorsey. It's not Facebook or Twitter that they want to take over. It's social media. Yeah. That's behind the press attacks on social media. So the endless waves of oh, social media caused Trump or social media caused um, these attacks, or this, this is how the terrorists won. What they won by posting selfies on Instagram. There's a, there's a, there's a very, there, it's hyperbolic the way the press will go after social media, saying this is Zuckerberg's fault or Jack's fault. Maybe they're closet white supremacists. Maybe they're closet ter terrorist sympathizers, allowing their platforms to be cynically co-opted to further. Um, to further socially disruptive ends. Uh, and that's, that's got to be seen for uh, as self-interest too. Of course, the New York Times wants more eyeballs on them, validating them as the ultimate gatekeepers for uh, the news in America, not a bunch of plebs tw tw uh, sharing puppy memes on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I mean, ultimately the attack on Parler uh, I've never used it. I'm pretty sure it's a shittily run, uh, shittily written, bloated app full of uh, full of people I don't care to associate with. But that coordinated level of attack, what's, I mean, they just kicked a, comp these established Silicon Valley titans just kicked off a competitor. They eliminated competition. Yeah. That's how you can see that too. They crushed uh, a, a budding competitor to their click economy. They're click monopoly. Yeah. I and mean, they were so more, more like, you know, explicitly done, mm -hmm. you know, and with people cheering it. Yeah. That was the, that, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to them. This is a masterful they did, they, thing. They're yeah. good in their timing. They know they, 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 it tells you that they've been thinking about this for a while. They were just waiting for the right time. Yeah. Right in this, right in the, it couldn't have come at a better time. Like right when Trump can't really do anything with ten days left to go. Yeah. Um, and they get all brave on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. So he's no longer a threat. They've already made all of their money. So he just crossed the threshold. They made all of their money that they could, squeezing him for notoriety. Yeah. Uh, all of the platforms. Twitter was Twitter was on the decline. So was Facebook um, before Trump took office. Uh, that line. It, he, yeah. That those lines for uh, people, uh, um, people, new people signing up and people falling off the platform that had inverted for a brief period of time in 2015. Um, so the last four years were immensely popular. That law enforcement and the military were actually trying to foster what happened, trying to 
like were in on it, so to speak, and allowed it to happen. Like all this stuff about how Larry Hogan couldn't get authorization from the Pentagon to release the, you know, to, to cross into DC with his troops um, in his state police. If there's any to that is that I think that they were playing the long game here where they were like, yeah, we want this to happen so that we have an excuse to come, you know, put the heel on social media this way. Like we, we need this event to do what we want to do next. I believe that. Um, I mean, I was, I was following some, some, I mean, it was all circumstantial, right? I have no idea how true these are, but I mean, we know that we know that the Pentagon um, was very slow to authorize the deployment of more uh, law enforcement or the national guard. Um, one of the concerns stated like, and like, oh, okay, well, if they're deployed, then they directly come under the control of Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know much about that, but they were very slow in their response. How quickly, how quickly did they mobilize when Black Lives Matter was, was uh, on Capitol Hill? Though, the, I, think that, I think that that line has been a little bit um, overstated because some of the BLM movements, I feel what happened was actually the police in some ways were instigating more violence. Uh, I think so. In those, th- and, oh, and, and, and a lot of people were allowing them to do things like, for example, like in Minneapolis, there were similar accusations going around saying that um, a lot of people that weren't even really part of the original movement were having brought in or something. And that the police were strangely fine with them, like trashing buildings and burning property. And then later people were like, wait, were they kind of encouraging that so that the optics would turn against BLM? Now that I believe, because I think there have been direct reports of that being police strategy. Like for example, in Baltimore, um, when they said, look, uh, we're going to let the, we're going to let the rocks fly. Like we're going to let cars burn because we want to show that they're bad. You see, (laughs) before we go in, like you have to have public opinion turn first before the boot, the cops come and crush it. Right. So I think that the the idea that the cops had allowed this to happen doesn't necessarily mean that they were like collaborating with the, the you know, the, the, the uh, insurrectionists or whatever you want to call them, um, but that they may have been in a way like wanting the optics of this to turn a certain way so that that would justify a whole host of other stuff that the new president and the new administration would now be. They want it. They, they want to get ready. Uh, so that when Biden comes in and they go brief him, they now have the worst event in American history, so to speak, um, something that Biden absolutely cannot be soft on to justify. We got to do something about Twitter. We got to do something about Section 230. We got to do something about this. We got to do something about government control of the means of communication. I mean, I believe that. I mean, look how quickly. I mean, up until last week, it was what? Um uh, force the vote on Medicare for all and the two thousand dollars stimulus check. Yeah, that's completely fallen off the radar now. Now we're talking about you know Biden needs to urgently you know now it's impeaching Trump with nine days to go, eight days to go on uh, on the clo- on his clock, uh, and no mention like no one's talking about COVID, no one's talking about even uh, those t- those uh, those stimulus checks, no one's talking about anything except now domestic terrorism and the response to it. So the first thing that Biden's going to probably sign is, you know, at the Anti-Patriot Act. Yeah. 
I, I honestly don't think your average American is all that horrified by what happened. I think a lot of people find it funny. I know every conversation I've had with my friends, people are sort of me- making meme jokes about it. The guy with the bearskin thing and, you know, whatever. It's, it's funny to people. It's funny. Yeah, I think and it's really overstated that, uh, I mean, it's gotten more and more heated over time, over the last few days. But framing it as a giant, like, well-thought-out, coordinated plan, almost military military maneuver totally to ridiculous. storm the cab. I that's 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 wrong. That's just flat wrong. Um, we can talk about what the effects were, but the intention seemed pretty clear. Now, this was more of a spontaneous. This is a big crowd, so not everyone's operating under the same uh, marching orders or has the same intentions. Uh, one thing led to another, and they were able to push past. The barricades and enter Capitol Hill. Yeah, um, it seems like some just walk. I mean, look, like the story, like some of the stories on on Twitter were like, "Oh, you see the, the you know the police basically waving them in, acting like traffic cops to uh, manage the flow of people going in." And then there's the other footage of uh, people like like that cop that was killed, who was actually like involved in like they were actually fighting him to get inside. So it's not a coordinated group. There were there were there was a lot going on. Um, so it's hard to state this as, as some, um, as an actual, like, military assault on Capitol Hill, which is how it's being framed. Yeah. This needs to be prosecuted as such. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, wrapping this up, like, going back to the original question, outlook for 2021 and, and, and maybe like the Biden administration years going forward, the next four years, um, do we go back to normal? Does it at least let's talk about for the 10, for, for people that are living, you know, nice, solid professional middle-class lives, right? Which are a I lot of, a, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are find themselves near or in that class, right? Um, is it, is, do we get back to a more normal Obama, you know, the Obama years where, COVID, you know, is handled properly. Let me give you the hoped for vision is the vaccine rollout is, you know, put under new management. And um, we, we finally uh, have a, a sigh of relief that someone competent is, uh, or at least sane, is at the very apex of power, overseeing um, the administration of a vaccine program with the absolute best and brightest um, people um, who win back the faith and trust of the American citizens, by and large, enough so that we can get to our hoped for 75, 80% vaccination rate. Life starts to return to normal. The economy picks up again. People start to come back out of lockdown. We lose our fear. We go back shopping. We go back to the office. We go back to our commutes. And by 2022, we start to carry on as if this never even happened. And Trump just seems like a a bit of a scary uh, detour, but hopefully one that's going to just sort of be in our rear view mirror. We've learned our lessons from it. Or does the uh, COVID crisis spin ever more out of control and we realize that it doesn't really matter who's president? Does the economy, uh, you know, start to show, uh, reveal itself to not be what we think it is, that it is built on inequality, that social uh, rifts continue to deepen. We have more 
violence. We have just more general insanity. And because of that, our foreign policy and our international policy gets all fucked up because we're mostly managing internal issues uh, and uh, at the at the expense of uh, expressing any sort of unified front to the outside world. And by the end of the Biden administration, uh, we're in even deeper crisis than we are now. Because I'm of two minds. I could actually see either one. I'm not totally convinced one way or another. If it, I think it will be one for a little while longer yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's borrowed time. So in that, in that, that PMC class, uh, there's going it, it's still going to be a shrinking class. Um, as the, so it's getting ever more precarious, ever more expensive to stay in that class. Uh, and the bottom is going to fall out at some point. You don't immiserate 90% of the population uh, and just expect that to go on forever. I think that's what the, the, the screws are being turned on that to get that to get that to for us to get to that point. That I don't doubt that that is the goal to kind of silence uh, the the immiserated poor, the bottom ninety, and funnel funnel aid to the top ten. Wait, so what are you saying that it, that it's going to get worse or that it's going to get better, but then maybe worse at some other later point? I think it'll get better and then it'll get rapidly worse. Within like Biden's administration, or will Biden? Even Biden's administration. Oh, okay, okay. I so this so. won't last. The party, the party won't last long if it if it if it. I don't. It comes together. I don't think so. No, I don't think we're. I mean, the best case scenario is still more of a genteel decline, right? There's. It's not. Yeah. I don't see a growth. Yeah. I don't see. This is not a growth plan. Yeah. Uh, like every everyone outside of that one percent is getting squeezed. Um. So as far as, you know, the PMCs go, you and I have talked about this many times. Um, as the debt burden gets higher, it's, it's more and more costly to enter this class and easier and easier to fall out of it. So as the numbers start shrinking, I mean, that's going to start its own cyclical effect. If this is the most uh, important uh, market for our so-called economy, uh, and there's fewer and fewer people in that with less and less money, then we've started. This is the this is the start of a dangerous spiral. Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, my my take on it is probably this is going to get worse because the like every it's it's one of these things where anything could go wrong, but in order for things to go well, everything has to go right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and going right. a narrow hole to thread. Because not only are you dealing now with like a very unstable situation at home, I think we have like serious economic, like financial issues happening. I think that debt issue is a bigger one than we think. Because I don't think. I... That... Okay. Yeah, I think that one, I think that's the biggest one, actually. The debt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too. The household debt. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a there's a larger problem with like corporate debt and all that stuff. I think there's a general debt problem going on right now. And I mean, we yeah, like we're borrowing a lot of it. Is, we're borrowing on future productivity, right? Productivity in the classic sense, not the uh, not not the actually pegged to a tangible product sense, right? Uh, I don't have much faith in in that growing 
productivity. Given the ephemeral nature of the things that we actually do uh, as a society here. Yeah, and so I, I just think like I mean, once like, you hit like, zero interest rates, it's like you can't you can't keep growing the credit. Uh-huh. Like, I don't think like we like people can't borrow more money anymore. We've like, hit the limit like on we're that. We're going to run out of um, like, a, a capacity to service debt because when you got interest rates at zero, like I can't entice you with a refinance. Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, I can't entice you to take out more on your home. I can't entice you to like raise the limit on your credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, money is as about is is about as cheap as possible at this point, so they can't turn the credit spigot on any wider than wider than they already have. So I don't see how they would. Yeah, so I just don't know what they're going to do outside of just straight up like they're doing now, like talking about canceling debts, monetizing debts, um, doing something like a UBI, some other way of getting money to people beyond. Yeah, I think it has to be a debt, some kind of debt jubilee is in order and getting cash into people's hands. Yeah, they're going to have to do it's, that. I, it's just, there's no other way. I mean, yeah. I know this just from a uh, from being in tech for this long. Uh, just seeing how people try to make money in this. Like, you just have to, if, if you want to make money, if you want new things, new products, new kinds of things that we actually produce here, uh, the, on, the only thing we really need is to get more money into more people's hands. Yeah. This is why, think, like, like, FinTech was I a big... I think it's dangerous, thing. though. I, I think there it is, is danger. Yeah. But this is why, like, all the tech that's, you know, it starts idealistic, right? So maybe this, this deserves its own treatment but they start idealistic like oh we're going to save the world we're you know we're not our product is to help people who can't help themselves right the bottom 90 right they all fail and they all fail it it's not really because of the tech or the people involved unless how it's spun it's because there's just no money there that can be leveraged mm-hmm. these are not viable these are not viable markets if you want to be, make any kind of impact or if you personally want to make money in there. Yeah, there's nothing to harvest right and i think yeah. it's because we're not Why? workers we're not productive like usually when they say harvest you know harvest or exploit workers you know what they mean is that the worker has some productive capacity which you're going to take you're going to appropriate that productive capacity right but we don't have production here so that we can't do that right yeah so what again i think the best way to think of society and i think even the, the sort of like social Darwinian culture that we have and this obsession with appearance and this obsession with bullshit and positioning and narcissism is because we are a consumer. Like we are a consume, like a consumption economy and we're parasitic and, you know, we have to pretend that we're not parasitic, but we are. <laughs> And that's yeah. I, I mean, for a while, for mid, like short and midterm, that's fine. Um, you just have to then mi- allow people to become consumers, more people to become consumers than what we currently have now. Right. You have to you have to become a little bit more egalitarian about how it's done in order to pre- preserve the social stability. But the problem is, what happens when everyone knows that that's the game? You know, what happens when we suddenly realize that we're parasitic? 
and that that's the nature of the economy. And we can't hold on to these ideologies about, you know, being productive members of society anymore. That really it's all about the game. It's just all about the game. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't think a good culture, I think that's recipe for a social collapse because I don't think people are meant to be like that. No, I don't think so either. Um, I think people actually benefit from being productive. I mean, this explains the the uh, the, the the subconscious of the uh, PMC, right? The pastoral fantasies, right? Yeah. Quit yeah. it all and go be a beet farmer or some shit. Um, that's been the dominant. That's been a dominant narrative like, for like right years of my life. I, you know, like, like, uh, like quit your corporate law job and go be a salmon fisher in Alaska. Yeah. Start pick up woodworking. It, it's always, mm-hmm. like, for women, it's, it, for a while, it was like run a cupcake shop or yes. like, literally, literally yes. I would hear that all the time. Yeah. From, uh, uh, fem- women lawyers. They would, they would, yeah, they I, would, I know, yeah. you know, because like, this is probably the dominant, like, things in both of our, in both of our lives. This, this parent, this track where you're, Staring into a computer for you know twelve hours a day, cranking cranking out meaningless, a completely meaningless, busy work. Um, and this little like voice inside you says like that's you need to actually like do something <laughs> with your life. Exactly, I, I think that there is something to people that knows that we don't want to be parasitic, that it's not sustainable. There's yeah. something in us, like socially, that's saying, like, "Oh yeah, don't just take. You have to like contribute as well. Otherwise, you're going to get kicked out. Like, they're going to get found out. You know, like you have to play with some level of ethics here. Because I think yeah. we're programmed that way. Um, maybe some people aren't, and you know, maybe that's the whole um, sociopath layer of society that everyone seems to be wishing that they were, but the better angels are keep getting in the way. <laughs> You know, like, oh, it's a, it's oh my a God, radical I believe in something. Oh, you know, I don't have what it takes because, um, you know, I'm not a sociopathic, um, you know, person that's hell bent on achievement, 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 i.e. money, money, money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel actually guilty about that. Like the Vaynerchuk stuff, you know, how people want to go through these boot camps where you just get yelled at and, you know, told that you know, you're dumb because like, you're not just thinking about money literally every hour of the day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that we're going to become more and more like that, you know? Cause I don't think structurally we're heading towards anything where this is what scares me is that I just don't think that the U S is set up for any sort of um, decline. Okay, like our society is entirely built around growth and more, promise of more, more, more. Um, If we have to deal with decline, even a small amount of decline, which is probably the right thing for us, is a measure of um, decline in the sense that our share of consumption of the world's resources goes down to a more equitable rate. And that... um, that would is probably the right thing to happen. We would experience that in America as decline and that in our culture and society would be totally disastrous. I don't know about that. Um, hasn't that already been happening though? I mean, we're talking yeah, sort of look, about like, like the middle class shrinking from 
what we would conceive of ideally as like 50% of the country down to 9%, basically. Yeah. And look at what it's done to our society and culture. It's been, it's been disastrous. And I think, um, so what are you, ta- so, so are you then talking about like the, um, are you simply just talking about a sharper rate? Like we no, can't I'm handle it. The, no, I'm, I'm saying that the, the size of the pie has grown, but the allocation of it has not been fair. I'm saying okay, that so if the, pie about if the pie starts shrinking. Yeah. Um, I don't know and how we would absorb very, that. Very dangerous thing. I don't think we're going to be able to handle that very well. If we see negative, uh, if we if we we cannot deal, like our economy cannot deal with negative GDP growth. Well, we're going to see the test of that then. Yeah, like we can't. We we just simply cannot deal. We're not handled to 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 deal with that. Our the way that you know money is made in this country can't cannot cannot look at that as normal. I mean, and then in in that case, uh, in that premise, then we know some guarantees. We know the pie will shrink. Then, what's that? Um, we know that we know that it won't be the, sa- the same relationship we have with uh, uh, with our producers is not going to be the same going forward. We can't count on an endlessly exploitable, cheap source of labor and materials for the stuff that we want to have. Yeah. Um, so in that case, it's a, it's a matter. So it's a matter of it's just a matter of when then. Yeah, I think this is why we're having a huge fight with China right now because I think that's put they're pushing us. You know, I've taken I've I've taken it back. I, I actually think China is a big threat to us on that front because mm-hmm. I think China's you know uh, eagerness to rise out of you know being only in the production um, you know production side of the global economy. And to significantly shift over to also consuming is a major threat to the United States. And I think that that was one of the major turning points in our relationship with them is exactly the time when they started putting out those five-year plans, 10-year plans, saying that they wanted to shift towards domestic consumption. And that uh-huh. really marked the beginning of a real problem, you know, mm-hmm. because the reality is like the world produces this much stuff per year and if the chinese want to raise their standard of living and raise their consumption you know our share of that is going to have to go down to a degree and i don't think we're ready for that i don't think we're willing to do that at all because uh i think we're completely programmed to like everything runs based on the idea that there'll be more next year. We cannot get our heads around the idea that on net net, everything kind of has to shrink, you know? Okay. So I, 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 I buy am that. Not, yeah. I am not at all optimistic that we can get our minds around that and say, Oh, what we really need to do is instead of thinking about growing the pie, we have to get into reallocation. Look at our culture. There's nothing in our culture and our political ideology that would allow for that. Absolutely nothing. Yet it has happened before in our history. Reallocation has come on the table. Only when on, there were workers in this country. Hmm. Only true. See, that's the diff. That's why I'm saying it was so important to start realizing the nature of our economy is parasitic. During the New Deal, we had production in America. So the case for the blue collar worker, you know, unionist, was to say, "Well, I should get a greater share of the wealth that I created." 
And the threat is they would withhold it. They have a thing that they could withhold that is of value. And they had a case. They had a real case Mm -hmm. to say, you know, you need, I actually produce the wealth. So I want a larger share of it. We should, you know, the CEO who didn't, you know, who didn't do shit in building these cars or building these machines or building this dam or whatever, um, should not be making 500 times more than the average worker. But I think the reason that that can happen now is we kind of know that these workers are not necessary. They're not making anything and they know they're not making anything and they can be replaced very easily. So workers in this country don't even have confidence because I don't think we actually, this was my experience in even sort of white collar work is you don't, you don't walk away feeling, um, which is funny because they always tell you to take ownership, but you don't actually feel like you have something, a kind of leverage against the employer because you have a special knowledge or something. I mean, the only thing that you would take is like maybe client relationships, like personal relationships that can be leveraged into monetizable relationships. That Those are, you know, real assets of value to the employer. So people with that are, are paid very handsomely. But in terms of like work, skills, you know, I think your average worker knows that is could be very easily replaced. Mm, I mean, I think I was, I was, uh, uh, I was in a very rapidly growing economy and uh, industry at a good time. So I think yeah. I actually did have leverage. Um, so I did feel that, but I know what you mean. Like the minute mm-hmm. I stepped into a role at a big company, that feeling vanished. Mm-hmm. Like my job yeah. is entirely managing people, managing who's immediately above me and who's immediately below me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying people don't have anything, but it's a far cry from what workers used to feel when we worked in a physically productive economy. Yeah, right. I mean, just, yeah, just the I, fact I, I that all the workers were together on the floor together, working together, and for the most part, self-managing the process, knowing the process mm-hmm. better than the boss. I mean, mm-hmm. I think at that point you know, worker organization was a lot more akin to, you know, fragging your, your dumb lieutenant because he's an idiot than it was to, you know, let's make a case for how, like, you know, desperate we are to get healthcare and I'm on the verge of poverty. I don't think that's mm-hmm. what a work, real worker organization was about. I think worker work was like, you know, we could kill the boss if we wanted to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a real force to worker organization that, I think we've lost. I, I, I think that a lot of this comes down to a sort of like um, a sort of moral case to say like the moral thing to do would be to, uh, you know, make sure that people don't go into poverty. You know, these poor working people. I mean, it's almost like they're beggars to an extent. Oh, these poor working people. Yeah, it's framed as, as charity. It's framed as charity and the right thing to do. Whereas I think like when you said these worker movements in the past, those were done because like there was a certain force and uh, power. There's a real threat. There's a real threat. Exactly. There's a real threat. I mean, now then social, then I, then I see, I, I think 2021 is going to be a violent year. That's, that's a threat then a literal threat. Yeah. You can negotiate when you have something to negotiate with that the other party wants, and you're also willing to play inside the system 
because there's a there's a some promise that both parties can profit. If you're saying now that one party is completely disenfranchised, that's when it gets that's when we've descended into uh, an anarchic state. But I think we're seeing. Yeah, I'm gonna so have. I, Sorry, go ahead. So, I mean, when it, if we're talking about uh, will things go back to normal, I think for a while it's going to be a kind of zombie normal for people who can, the work from home class. Um, you're just going to be seeing a lot more scary shit uh, on the news. Yeah. So basically a repeat of 2020 to some extent. I think so, yeah. Dialed yeah. up. Uh, I'm not that confident about the vaccine rollout, even under even under a Biden administration. Um, I also don't fault people for not wanting to take them if it's going to be used as a tool. Like a lot of the, the talk about stimulus completely vanished when the vaccines were approved. I mean, with the understanding that, okay, you vaccinate them, you send them back to work. You don't have to give them anything. Just make them go back to work. If they can't, no big deal. I have this belief that we're going to metamorphosize into full parasite, meaning we're going to, isn't it interesting that um, like we were so blown away by a movie called parasite uh, that eventually I think we're going to become more in touch with our parasitic natures. And what will happen, I think is that we will become a lot more comfortable with living within a very like, you know, uh, almost Mad Maxian type uh, social context. Like, I think we're just going to degrade, like the quality of the culture and society will degrade um, as we become more and more openly parasitic and uh, our values will change. And so what will to us maybe now seem like a crisis, a disaster, by then we'll just have gotten used to it. I think so. It's a, it's a frog boil, right? All of this stuff yeah. happens very slowly. Uh, I think, uh, like we talked, like twenty sixteen, you know, when when we when we started doing this, uh, you know, we we were starting to see the inklings that oh shit, maybe maybe something had gone off the rails, but it was too slow to tell at the moment, and it just takes these sharp shocks to make you look back and realize, oh, okay, well, this was the temperature had been going up for a while. I just hadn't noticed. Yeah. Yeah, and so like a storm, the capital event can happen, and by and large, people will be nonplussed. People will be kind of like, yeah, you know, and you'll we'll just see a general degradation in social, you know, social cohesion. We'll see a general degradation in just sort of like our standards, but because we're parasitic, our our material normal every day will continue, meaning our class structure will be preserved the nature of our work quote work will be preserved and nothing in that sense will fundamentally change uh you might be right biden's main task in that case might be managing the rate of decline then if it's too sharp then the whole then the bottom will fall out Mm. it's how to calibrate that so people don't quite notice yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he knows what the fuck he's doing at all. I don't think he cares. I mean, well, I'm talking about what if uh, we take the premise that Biden's ultimately going to serve, you know, what uh, what progressives call the donor class, right? Then there's a bit of a con that he needs to he needs to pull. The only thing that he can really they, 
there is no room, there's no slack left in other parts of the society, right? Uh, like you said, like we're kind of at the end of the credit binge, right? There's not that much, um, there, there's not that much room that he can maneuver in, except to convince people that things are okay, while turning up the and turning up the screws slowly, turn it up too quickly, and everyone catches on fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fundamentally, it is like that. Our um, we are trying, you know, we try to be uh, what we think we are, right? We try to behave as we think we are. So, like, most workers believe they're productive workers or whatever. Most people believe they're contributing to the national welfare. So we carry on with our business or whatever. But, you know, when you get to the office or whatever, you get to your job, you know, it's, uh, you know, 90% of your time spent on office politics type shit or, you know, whatever. Not really contributing anything. Uh by way of, you know, enhancing the, you know, enhancing the lives of other people. So what I'm saying is that over time, I think we converge towards what we actually are, you mm-hmm. know? And so until we change what we are, like that will set a limit as to like what kind of culture and society we live in. And if we have a parasitic economy, uh, because we sit on top of this sort of global empire, you know, administered by force, that we can't be better than that. Like we can't, you know what I mean? Like we can't really be better than that. And mm-hmm. that will, the nature of being a parasitic uh, society will eventually be reflected in how we sort of live day to day is my belief like over time that will happen just look i mean just look at what's happened in the past 10 20 years um even longer it acts like think 30 years since the 90s till now has been definitely uh in that direction becoming more and more like what we really are you know so i guess what i'm saying is unless we change that the underlying reality of how the economy works and what its true nature is like its true material reality is then that's uh that's the only way we could sort of improve the cultural political situation if that does that make sense like we have to make real changes we can't we can't just like better our better ourselves out of this you know which is why you, you we get all these politicians constantly telling us that what we see is not the real america Right. Yeah. We're not supposed to interpret, you know, the the actual image as something real. We have to lie to ourselves. Just like Biden said, this is in America. This is a whole <laughs> fringe of extremists who hate America. Uh-huh. Return the American democratic process. Like we we you know, we constantly come up with some mantra that you see it all online now about how Oh, the, you know, these are people who hate democracy. They're actually anti-American. They're not even American. Like, they're, we are, every time these kinds of things happen and reality kind of pokes through, we immediately come up with some coping t- mantra to remind ourselves, oh, don't believe what you're seeing. Don't believe what your eyes are seeing. You know, and I think we're just going to have to do that more and more and more. There's going to be more and more pressure to be that way. 
you know, and everyone's going to have to take the pill. That's, that's pretty grim, but I can see that. Yeah, it is grim. It's, I, that's the thing. And it, it's fucking grim. Like the rea- but the reality is grim. You know, so becoming more individualist, venal, selfish, isolationist, materialist, deluded, deluded, and this all is just a trend that we've been seeing. I've definitely seen yes. it from um, accelerating since yeah the nineties. Exactly. It's like if you've been long enough alive, long enough, nobody denies this. Mm-hmm. You talk to anybody that's been alive this long. Uh, you know, to, to have known the difference between, say, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and now, like, say, last four decades. Absolutely zero, like, uh, doubt that that has been the direction. No, mm-hmm. no doubt at all. I don't know a single person my age who, if you ask them to think about it, wouldn't absolutely be like, oh, yeah, things have gotten, <laughs> definitely, it's gotten shittier. In, that In sense. every dimension, yeah. It's, it's almost a... It, it makes me mad to see. I like. I have a hard time watching like TV or movies made past a certain date. Yeah. It's like, like they're lies. Think, they're all lies. Yeah. Is it me or are they all just revisionist lies? They they just they're fantasies. They're not just fantasies, but they're like often like intentionally covering something up. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bridgerton, this thing Bridgerton that came out. Like they want to revise like Victorian England to be like racially progressive and diverse. <laughs> Even Hamilton, when Hamilton came out, and everyone was like clapping, and I'm like, why? What? How was the, how was the revisionist view of like the founding of America? Like, how, why is this being celebrated? This is a lie. <laughs> like it's, it's putting face to on history. Yeah, that's America. That's the America I choose to yeah. believe in. So just over time, I just feel like there's just these manufactured lies and we are there's, but there's intense social pressure to believe them. Mm-hmm. And if not necessarily literally believe them, but like believe that they're good lies, that this is a good it's lie. Productive. It's a productive lie. It's, productive it's, it's self-help. Lie. Yeah. Self-help. Yeah. And if you don't want to believe it, it's because you're an asshole. You're defeatist. You're depressed. And I, I actually, I'm starting to really hate therapy language. Mm-hmm. I think there was a, it's, you're depressed, you're suffering from some kind of, uh, I think the language of trauma is overused and actually is serving a counterproductive purpose. Yeah. Um, it's still inviting you to just plumb your own depths of pain and inadequacy. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it is just because you're not allowed to s- sort of like acknowledge that, you know, it's grim. Not not it, like not just grim. Like I think everyone knows it's grim. But that you don't really have like a basis for hope here. Like until yeah. something really we get to the truth and make a a radical change that um there's, there's nothing no- to do. There's nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, otherwise, because I see this in the news all the time. Like, the emotional structure can be found in, like, network news. You know, it goes, boom, 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 tonight. And then, you know, wildfires rage in California and COVID spread unchecked. And, you know, a Russian hack, largest ever. Then, Profiles encourage, you know, <laughs> um, 
puppies who love America, you know, like something, something like that. <laughs> oh God, that's so grim. It a ninety-year-old who yeah, wants says, to work. Yeah. yeah, the correct response to all the horrible shit that we can't prevent you from seeing is here's the correct emotional response to this: is to remember to just really believe, you know, mm-hmm. that we can turn this ship around, but without really doing anything. Without really, uh, you know, actually pushing for any change. Literally, it's just like, well, just just look on the bright side. You know, there's they're still puppies who love America. Mm-hmm. And that's the, sort of the emotional tenor of what I see um, being sort of like uh, perpetuated as, you know, the right mindset in America. I assume denial. You know, I mean, a lot of uh, my anxiety just went away. When I committed that this is just a process of managed decline. Biden's not here to fix anything. He's here to manage a decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's not there. He's not. He's not the second coming of FTR. Uh, neither should we really want that. I don't. I don't. I don't know if we really do. Uh, he can't. He has no. We did not elect somebody. Who's there's there's not going to be a second coming of FDR. No, there isn't. It's not nineteen. 19- uh, Three. It's not the same. It's a totally different economy. Yes, he is a he's he's a fossil from a different time. He was put in place to further the interests of the probably I'd, I'd say the ten percent. He's in he he will he will do good things. I think for some subset of that top ten percent. Yeah. But by doing so, he is he's he's consigning the country to inevitable uh, decay, long-term decay. Mm-hmm. His only job is to manage it slowly and carefully enough that it doesn't boil over into civil war on his watch. That's, that's his only job. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I have no idea what's, I really can't predict, like I don't have a clear vision of what's going to happen, but I, I, definitely think that it's going to get 2021 like it was just funny to me that people were just like oh i'm so glad to see 2020s over this year <laughs> and 20, yeah. 2021 starts um six days you know, man six days <laughs> did not disappoint i mean there's no no the belief that you know a given year is a roll of the dice is really <laughs> I, people i think were being flippant about it but i mean look a given year is not a roll of the dice it's not like oh this was a good year that's a bad year no it's doesn't matter. I mean, there's a there's a given, there's a historical pattern like trend that's going on, and the fact that the date changed from 2020 to 2021 doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I saw I saw his new proposals. You know, committing trillions of dollars to you know the revitalization of the American economy, dumping things into green energy, uh, housing, all of that, uh, and I, I I don't see like. We already have trillions of dollars in the economy. This is not a broke country at all. He dumps that much money; it's gonna get it's gonna get sucked into all the same channels that are funneling money away from where it needs to go. Now, nothing will really change. Maybe, Maybe he has to. I, I think part of the fear is that if you actually take, if you actually trying to enrich. 300 million Americans so that they have a materially better lifestyle that um, you start to put pressure on the U.S. dollar. Mm. Meaning that you might actually run up against inflation. 
I think there's financial constraints that we're, we all, we also have financial constraints. I think the MMT thing, I think um, it's interesting and true in a way that it busts the old myths about what our real constraints are. And they say constraint is inflation, but we're not anywhere close to seeing inflation. Well, we're not really close to seeing anything near inflation because when you concentrate wealth that way, it really limit the amount of consumption that we do. Yes, the rich consume a lot. You know, they have a lot of, uh, let's say, um, uh, excess uh, conspicuous consumption. Okay, but that's very different than having 300 million people slightly improve their lifestyle. That's a bi- you know that's a bigger problem. Like China having minting a few billionaires every year was not a big deal. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. He wants to buy 10 Ferraris. Who gives a shit? But when you have 1.4 billion people slightly, just slightly improve their lifestyle, it moves the entire planet. Right. So I think that we have to be a little bit humble as to whether we could actually lift, you know, a good amount of Americans. If we could actually improve their life, their, their material well being, whether we have the resources to do that. I'm not totally convinced that we do because we're thinking of money. Right. And if MMT says anything is like, don't think about the money, think about the resources, think about the actual economy, right? Not Uh, not, not dollar signifiers. And I'm like, well, I'm not really sure there's enough there. hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not versed in that. Um, All I know is I don't, uh, I don't agree with the framing of the New York times and criticizing China's alleviation of absolute poverty. Um, oh, no, surely. No, 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 but the, 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 yeah, I, I totally don't agree with that. But I'm just saying that China had to really, in, they had to invest into their well-being in a real way. It was a real effort. I mean, people had to work. People I mean, to- okay, so how how, uh, how much? Um, this is this is also a problem that I had just for, from the, treating money as a one-way street. Like mm-hmm. this money is invested into, say. The poor, right, to raise their standard of living. Um, I feel like it's spoken of as a one-time, one-way transaction, right, where collectively the rich or the state writes a check to the poor, um, and then that's that. Um, what's the accounting for uh, the economic activity that is generated um, as a result of this check? Like more small businesses come up, maybe actual industry, productive industries uh, come into being. Um, how is that factored into like poverty alleviation? I have to think that uh, when uh, when China went about this uh, poverty eradication thing, uh, it's a human good, obviously, but that also means development. Yeah, I don't think China was just writing checks to people. Yeah. Right, uh, I mean, with the intention of bringing more people into a productive capacity, they were building um, cities in places that cities didn't exist before. They were moving people, relocating people from like rural areas where there was like no economic mm-hmm. activity going on into cities, and then they were investing into developing industry in those cities, and then putting them to work. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's really it, hard. That is do. really hard. We're not going to um, do that. We're not. We, uh, we can't even write checks to people. 
I agree that we're not going to. Um, I was curious about your statement that we might not be able to. Are you simply talking about like there's no will to do it, or are you talking about like a material constraint? On I don't why think we we're the type of country that can do that anymore. Okay. Like, yeah, like we're, I like believe the, that. Like for example, like the Green New Deal. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I believe we have the money to do it. I don't believe we have the skill and manpower and resources to do it. I'd like to see us try, but... Oh, I don't think we have it now. I think that's a much longer time scale than what anyone... Uh, than what the Green New Deal proponents want to believe. Yeah, it's like why building a bridge in America takes... We don't have... 10 to 15 years, whereas in China it takes three months. We don't have any... Like, we just don't... We don't have what... It, we don't have the stuff to do it with, right? We don't have the capacity. We also don't talk about... We also don't tackle corruption. Yeah, corruption and uh, other things. But I, I think, you know, rather than just blaming corruption and uh, that, I think more fundamentally speaking, it's that we just don't have enough um, workers to do it. We don't have enough skill, like skilled workers to build these bridges. We don't have enough. We just don't have that kind of economy that can produce infrastructure at that rate, you know? And I'm not sure we can produce all the things that we think we need that like we need to get to people. I don't know if we can produce it. So the question to me isn't whether we're willing to spend the money, but whether our economy can actually provide those things for people without mm. um, importing it. You know, so like, yeah, well, you want to do yeah. Green New Deal, but at what point do you, are you willing to accept that maybe you're going to have to hire a Chinese? like a lot of Chinese companies with Chinese workers to come into the United States to install our solar panels. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that. pretty much immediately because we don't, we just have, we have not invested in people for that long. Yeah. Like, like if, China, if you want to get the project out and open it up to any, like truly make it competitive, meaning like not only to us companies, but actually do it competitively. Like you're going well, to have to, we China. wouldn't be in, the U.S. would not. U.S. companies would not even be in the top ten of that. Exactly, they're not competitive, and so we're going to do a program. That we're obviously going to be like, okay, we're going to we're going to bias it towards American companies. We want this to be a domestic stimulus project. Fine, I'm for and that. Then, I'm not saying we have to do it with, with the, the wheel of incredibly expensive, slow, inefficient, and non-functional yes. projects. Okay, yes. I see what I see. What you mean? So we're going to end up with LA subway stations. That's what we're going <laughs> to. Yeah. Okay. We're going to end up with the LA subway or Caltrain or whatever. Hyperloop. Cal, Cal, the Cal high speed thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to do green new deal. We're going to do this huge infrastructure project because none of it's going to get done. We've seen this at the local level. You've seen how, you know, the big dig in Boston went or whatever. Like you've seen how these projects languish for years with budget overruns, you know, yeah, I don't. I don't know how to explain that. That's been on my list of things to try to look into. Like, what the fuck is are we doing? Um, I, the Green they, New Deal is just. I don't. Be, I don't believe it. Um, unless you want to bring in Chinese companies, uh, or maybe European companies or something to come do it, and allow foreigners to come and do it. I, I don't think we can get it done. I I think I agree with you. 
but our, our I would ego think... is way too big to allow that. Ego, and for some people, it's an actual livelihood. A lot of people stand to get very hurt in the coming in the coming years. Well, I don't think so because, like, I don't, you know, I, I just don't think that there are people that can do that job. I mean, like, if you import these people to do it. Oh no, I mean, I mean, hurt in the sense that they are now considered they're just disposable now. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. So if there is a massive infrastructure project, then it would have to start with developing human capital at home, yeah. which we don't like doing. We lost. We lost our edge. America's lost its edge. That's the. That's the, it's the um, the un, the ugly truth, is that you know we can't we can't we can't uh, we can't compete anymore. That part and, is true. Yeah. We're the accountant class now for the for the planet. I think for the for the time being, we're in a transition stage where, essentially, we're still so powerful, um, in terms of our what we own, and how powerful we are, like you know, force wise, like militarily, that we still command a great deal of respect in that sense. So we're not a nobody, um, but I think the underlying conditions of uh, our decline I think people see it and they're kind of waiting for us to get out of the way yeah America's never eradicated absolute poverty um, people in absolute poverty yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think Joe Biden is a perfect symbol of that I think so <laughs> super old guy half out of his mind yeah uh, locked in deep conservative committed to committed to everything that has brought us to this point and just just like this weird little um you know wizard wizardish kind of gnomish character who's always telling you to just believe just believe you know I, he's a mascot he's a mascot for the decline yeah yeah and we and the fact that Americans bought into it shows you where the heads of Americans are at. You know oh. what I mean? Yeah. That's Obama's third term. Yeah. And they a saw sh- a they, shadow third term. Yeah, they, they they saw what we were we were pushing up like, you know, with the with the Buttigieg and they're kinda like, look, that it's even it's even less believable on a young guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh man. Oh, you know, and I think that's so ultimately annoying. why we are going to flip back into sort of a fascist kind of thing, where we're going to have like a hyper competent fascist kind of like strongman. I think really after after Biden, I think proves himself to be incompetent and um, ineffectual. You know, we're going to get sick of him in that same way we got sick of old Reagan or whatever. Like this guy's, he's, this guy's had it. He's, he's, you know. Mm-hmm. We're going to get Biden, I think, because um, he won't deliver results. I think we're going to start shopping again for someone that really has that magical combination of just just sort of evil competence and and con- in confidence, you know. And uh, I, I I I am terrified of what that fascist side of America is going to throw up next. I will second that. I think about that quite a bit. Yeah, they learned too many lessons from Trump. They. Mm-hmm. They uh, the next one is going to be bad, and they're they're super, supercharged now. They yeah. have 
they have what was previously just a conspiracy theory has now just been laid out in the open. The establishment is against them. Yeah. In a matter of days, they all of them just got kicked off the known internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other side, celebrated as a victory, as if, well, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure there's some, there's some parlorites who are looking up how to root an Android phone now, as we speak. Yeah. So I'm not even sure it's going to come from that same MAGA type of... Oh, I don't think so. I'm saying there's a... It just doesn't go away because of draconian top-down action. Well, no, I think the next one is going to be much more... Is not going to be like Trump in the sense that he wants to keep it authentically grassroots populist. But this, the next one will probably be someone who is operating from the top, but Mm -hmm. knows how to fake it, you know? It's working both sides. We'll see. I think it'll be a younger, dyna- a more dynamic person yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, promising the big things. Yeah, far more charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just basically just has to re- point out all the ways that Biden has not been able to deliver on anything in a material sense. Yeah, and this person is going to want to go to war. Yeah. And they're going to talk about going to war with China, and they're going to talk about going to war with Iran or whatever. Like they're not. They're 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 going to be. All of the things that, you know, Biden is going to be, people are going to get sick of him waffling on. Yeah. Well, he plays both sides. Well, he, he plays, can't. yeah. Well, he tries to be everyone's grandfather. Eventually, you're going to get tired of it. You know, everyone yeah. loves cute old gramps until he overstays his welcome. Yeah. And he's been in your house for three days, and you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> get out of here. Four you. years. Maybe we'll start with annex in Canada. Yeah. It's going to be bad. Biden's going to be, a t- it's going to be terrible. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be very good. So I'm I'm not looking forward to it personally. But yeah, here we this are. Is a bummer of a podcast. I apologize to people who listen to it. But <laughs> uh, look, I, I Jess, I think for me it is better to just sort of like, um, like holding on to that hope is just increasingly like religious. It's increasingly like ridiculous to me. I don't think it I don't think it works. I think it just heightens up neuroticism and anxiety to so cling too. to it. Because I yeah. think there's a part of you that understands that this is uh, this is this is this is faking it. Mm-hmm. Um I for me I felt a lot better personally just let that go and accept what I feel to be true based on yeah. empirical mm-hmm. evidence that I'm actually looking at. So it's it's uh, it's a bummer, but there's also a lot of clarity in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this will shape my thinking, how I live my life, um, in the in the near future. Uh, just being honest about it, I think I, I think it's uh, we're doing we're doing people a disservice if we're in any way facilitating a mental process whereby the next competent fascist comes as a surprise. Yeah, that's true. Because wishing it won't happen doesn't mean has no bearing on whether it's going to happen or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wishful thinking is not going to do jack. Um, yeah. Hasn't for a long time, and increasingly so now. Okay, well, whatever- I, I could see Wednesday being scary for people, and I don't want to. I don't want to just totally dismiss what happened on Wednesday as not meaningful. I, I could see that being scary. There were some videos that were kind of scary, like that police officer was getting crushed in the door yeah i don't doubt that there were there was bad stuff going on 
Um, that woman who was shot to death, that was kind mm-hmm. of fucked up. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is shocking to see people who are just walking through the halls of power. It's something that I would, I mean, I would not uh, see as normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or something that's in the realm of possibility. I think it does send a message, right? The vulnerability of this, um, this thing that I think most people conceive of as like basically a church. Mm-hmm. I think the rhetoric around it kind of lent itself to that. Like Pelosi was calling it the temple of our sacred democracy or something. There yeah. is a lot of like spiritual weight um, uh, cultivated um, with government processes. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be really, I think it was really shocking at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how to process that, right? I don't think the Biden prescription of saying this is not America, this does not represent America works because very clearly that was America that you saw that actually was Washington DC. And those were Americans climbing Mm -hmm. the wall, breaking into Congress. That is exactly what happened in America that day. So I just don't get the phrase. This isn't America. It's a coping mechanism. That's what Mm -hmm. old like senile men do. Uh, Yeah. It's it's their pop fantasies. Yeah. Okay, it's, so, it's fine. It's fine for Biden to do that. He's he's eighty. Yeah, that's why um, we elected him, so he could tell yeah. stories about the past, about the good old days. Well, he bounces up and down on his on his knee. Yeah. Um, yes. makes up some shit about corn pop and ice cream. Yeah. That's he's the last you know nostalgia the the, the last nostalgia hire yeah. we're gonna have. The next one's gonna be looking forward, and it's not gonna it's not gonna be a good picture. Right. Just exactly. I, I just, I just don't buy into the, co- I just don't think coping and hoping coping and hoping, <laughs> uh, which becomes a trope it's trope coping, hoping and troping <laughs> is going to be a good way to deal with what's coming. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's better it to just can't surprise you. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and for me, it's just like so many things have like, the more I read about these topics, the more I see like, you know, the writers are onto this. Like people understand what's going on. Um, they, people are openly questioning the nature of the economy, the question, openly questioning the nature of work. Read David Graeber's bullshit jobs. Just read it. It's totally not a depressing book. I found it to be very almost therapeutic in a way because a lot of people responded that way about the books. Like, this totally describes what I've been thinking. It's not just me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, read David Graeber's uh, bullshit jobs. You said you've been reading uh, debt, his other book, which he's yes, fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was, he, he died last year. So yeah. um, in the year when I think more people than ever were receptive and open to, uh, to hearing, to, to listening to his works, so I feel that that's a real tragedy yeah. of 2020. Dead is fantastic. I just started it. I'm just a couple chapters in. Yeah. It's, a, it's a refutation of the history of money. And his, right. uh, his thesis so far is that, you know, have you read it? Uh, no, I've, I'm familiar kind of with the ideas in it, but. Uh, it, it kind of just, it kind of pokes at the, uh, the, the foundations of what we think of as modern uh, economics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it actually debt came first, not money, right, the way it's right. normally. Credit came uh, before money, yeah. Yeah, so it helped. It's it's starting to help shape my thinking when you see like 
uh, like graphs about GDP or household debt or something. These words that we're all, we all think we know, um, there's a lot more to it than I realized. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, I think the other, you know, the thing is like the natural tendency is to just kind of be like, look, I, I have no control over this stuff, so I don't care. And just to kind of cling to, you know, hoping that your, you know, your life raft is going to hold through the, you know, the chaos of 2020. And if 2021 is bad, make it through 2021 as well. And uh, I, like you said, I don't think that that's actually a very healthy mindset. It's not very comforting to me to Mm -hmm. be like that because it's just like a fearful and confused mentality some people are fine with that i just i just my nature is just like i i I can't get certain confusions out of my head like i I just something i I like it has to make sense to me some way otherwise Mm -hmm. i'll just keep worrying about it you know so it just helps to think through um kind of like the you know kind of try and get my own idea of like what's actually happening yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, a more expansive understanding of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more, more, or just like, why is it that the way that I've been educated to think about the world doesn't seem to really fit? Yeah. But, a know. lot of it's bridging contradictions. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and 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 realizing that those contradictions are not because you are, uh, you know, uh, unorthodox in some sense, mm-hmm. but that you're just not tolerant of the contradiction. I think some people are tolerant of it, and I'm jealous of those people. But I'm not tolerant of it. Like I can't deal with that contradiction. I have to know. I don't think you're comfortable with it. I think uh, if you if it seems that way, I think there's just some some understanding that they've gotten to with that contradiction, some prioritization they've process what? that they've got. Uh, they've just gotten they've got. It's not actually a contradiction anymore. I, I don't think you can actually if it feels like it's a contradiction. I don't think you can be satisfied with it. I think you have to come to terms with it in some way to bridge that. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a way to just ignore it. But it's like, yeah. it's like saying, okay, I'm working this bullshit job uh, in an industry I absolutely loathe that's just ruining the planet, but I have three kids. That kind of, yeah. so it's no, yeah. so you have to find that way to bridge that contradiction for it to make, for, yeah, for you to yeah, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. My, my, I guess, going thesis on that is I just don't think that's a very good existence. I don't think so either. I think it's I think it's actually existence that's marked by a lot more anxiety and stuff than is let on. I think so too. I mean, it, we're starting to get to the point where this could actually have like material consequences, mm-hmm. right? Like physical consequences. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I don't know. Like if you see that, if you see like the the like Wednesday's storming of the Capitol Hill as like a, a one-off accident of history. Um, Versus, like, maybe this is the signal that more violence is to come. I don't know. Do you want to take that uh, family vacation to Disney World? Knowing that, you know, domestic terrorism is on the rise. I, I'm, that's a hyperbolic e- example. But this could, but being in denial could actually come with act- real physical consequences. Depending on how far, far down we go. 
I actually think, I also think if you're ambitious, that it helps to be the type of person that is more clear-eyed. I think so. You find pockets of opportunity. Yes. Um, there's, there's plenty and, of opportunity in the chaos, right? And I think, yeah. um, again, I think that the, 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 the Hopin and Copin lifestyle is, is, is really one where you kind of like jettison creativity and ambition. Mm-hmm. You have to blinker all of that to kind of focus on, you kind of turn it, it's a kind of a survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. An and invisible survival mode that isn't support, like, survival it, mode is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, see, it all comes down for me. Like no matter what we talk about, it always comes down to some aspect of like mental, mental balance or mental maintenance. What mental, I hate mental well being. I don't like that term. It's weird. Uh-huh. Not sure what it means, but mental, like stability. Yeah, yeah, like how do I put it? Like just um, getting your head straight about uh, how to interpret uh, the world. Mm-hmm. Like wh- how you allow yourself to interpret the world. Like, are you committing to some orthodox interpretation that? has some sort of special kind of credibility for you because it came from a professional or it came from an expert, mm-hmm. you know, or do you actually want to directly understand the thing? And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that lib- liberal culture, which is like the hegemonic culture in America, a lot of it is, you know, it's like the signs that say believe science. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing now, believe science. Yeah. But science in and and uh, being uh, credulous have nothing to do with each other. In fact, like good scientists are totally skeptical of science, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like a good scientist would never believe science. A good scientist right. would constantly be trying to poke holes in it. Um, but there has to be a durability that this is a process that you can put your some amount of trust in. Yeah, I mean, what 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 the sign really should say is believe scientists with good credentials, <laughs> right? Meaning, listen to those people. Don't listen to people that don't have scientific backgrounds. Listen, yeah. believe in STEM professionals is what that means. Yeah, yeah. That's what believe science means. And I think that that is the culture of, of, of um, a lot of people now is to say, I don't need to understand. I'll let mm-hmm. a professional class of experts understand it for me. Like, I don't need to care about the economy. Economists will worry about that for me. Yeah. My job is to make my boss happy. So that I bring home mm-hmm. the bacon on a regular because that's always at stake, you know, uh, is the sort of the deal that I found was on the table. Well put. I, I, I'll co-sign that. Yeah. All right. Um I don't know if that's a natural point to end. Jeez, two hours forty. Damn. Um, we had we had a lot to cover. Six whole days of twenty twenty one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, All right. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point to to stop at. Okay. So, All right. If you made All it right, this far, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.